Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. Hi, welcome to Therapist Uncensored. I'm Ann Kelly. And I'm Sue Marriott, and we are about to do a little demonstration for you. Notice what happens in your body. Wait for it. What'd you do, Ian? I was ready. I felt all this anticipation. I'm ready to sing. And then I remembered I'm on air. And I thought, no, don't do that. Well, my hope would be that some of our listeners out there got their little shoulders moving or something. The um, point of this is we just probably lit up all kinds of areas in your brain. And rather than thinking of music as cotton candy for the ears or some sort of entertainment or, or even another form of language, what we are saying is that music actually is social architecture. You know, we've talked a lot about neural Wi-Fi, and this is sort of neural Wi-Fi on steroids. Absolutely. It's, it's neural Wi-Fi, and what is so amazing is as you listen to the all the effects of music on the brain, we're also going to learn exactly how to use music to get what we want because we really can. It's like right there for us. And if you're utilizing it now in your life, great. If not, we're going to teach you why you want to. So let's talk about how music affects the brain, specifically what happens in music. How does it go in? You said it's not when you said it's not just cotton candy, I think what you mean by that is like when we listen, we know it makes us feel good, great, turn it on, turn it off. But to really understand is not just something you're deciding that you're thinking about and you like it and you turn it off. It's actually affecting your entire system is what you're saying. That's right. So if you think about it, what's part of what's happening is, of course, there's the auditory cortex and that is awesome and that's lit up with language. But then it also lights up everything. It's, it is, it's like a little electrical storm. It will light up the motor cortex because at times you have an impulse to move and to sync the rhythm. It will light up memory. Even with Alzheimer's patients, a lot of times they won't be able to remember anything now, but you put an old song on and they will know all of the words. The memory is perfectly intact. So it's deeply connected to the right brain, just an experience. In addition, it's also different if we're listening to music that we like versus that we don't like. What's really cool about this is that Lou Cozzolino talks a lot about the default mode network, which is, and we've talked some about, or hopefully a lot, about the orbifrontal cortex and the prefrontal cortex. And that's all the really great part of the mind in the brain. It's the mind of the brain. That, and when you mean that, you mean the front part of our frontal lobe that right. does a lot of the intellectual thinking and analytical function for us. That's right. And more specifically now, we understand as we dig deeper, there's something called the default mode network. When that is activated, and it's a set of networks, but when that is activated, that is the gold. That is when we're meditating and practicing mindfulness. That's what we want to be happening. And Basically, you can feel it when it's like when you're deeply reflective about yourself. It's not just when you're thinking about your shoe, 
that's not exactly. It's when you're deeply reflective, and it is highly correlated with all kinds of health benefits for us to be able to get there. Well, what's great about this with music is that particularly if it's music that we love, it activates our default network. And if it's music that we don't like, it kind of deactivates it. (laughs) You know, we can handle it and stuff like that, but it's not going to give you the feeling. Well, exactly. And as you're saying, it it activates all sorts of different parts of your brain. And they've done research on humans and songbirds and a very overlapping reaction to a music of creating limericks and love in a human activates the reward system throughout your brain, just like a female listening to a male songbird during mating season, they both activate this incredible kind of limerick motivational reaction. And yet the male songbird during mating season creates an amygdala response (laughs) that is threat. It's war. You mean with other males? With other males. Exactly. That's true. (laughs) Any other male hears another male. Or or maybe a female that's not into the men. (laughs) (laughs) And and when we listen, they have paralleled it in research that when we listen to music that we don't like or creates a sense of discomfort in us, it hits our amygdala. It hits this thing that this is threatening to me. Get this away from me. That's why that we turn on this super loud workout music. It's exciting and it's a little bit threatening, but we turn that into motor movement. And then we are distracted from any discomfort because it's, it's our body is all synced up and lined up. But you mentioned limerick, which is really, there's some really interesting research by this guy, David Levinson, who wrote the seminal book on your brain on music. And he hooked up with Apple and Sonos they hired him to look at how we use music. So it's actually really good research, even though it's Sonos and Apple. Hello, Sonos and Apple. Me, uh, it might be a little promotional. <laughs> well, that's of course, that's the question. But the researcher himself is very well respected. And the data is huge because they're able to pull a lot of data from those systems. Right. And so in this one research that has just recently been published, it was over 30,000 people. They watched families And they compared families that didn't play music together and those that did play music together. And the gist of it is that when you play music out loud in your home, that you're going to, it literally makes your relationship stronger. They measured the distance between people. You stood and sat 12% physically closer. The family spent three hours and 13 minutes more time together. So it draws you together. And get this. 67% 67% more sex. Uh, that's okay. So everyone's motivated now. <laughs> that's right. So music is social architecture. One of the take homes of this, if you're listening, is get a little, well, oh my gosh, see, this is why they did that research, because I'm about to say get a little speaker, any Bluetooth little speaker, and put it on. We use it literally every day during chores. It's pretty much going nonstop. Yeah, it's amazing. I recommend to a lot of my families, right? Like when you're having a hard time doing something that you're not very motivated to do, or maybe specifically the kids, it is a whole different experience when you play music that activates the body and the reward system while pairing it with something that somebody doesn't want to do, i.e. dishes, and that it creates an entire relationship in the room. There's a connectedness that happens. And it stirs the body. And now we have a paired association with something in our body that's really, really exciting with something we don't want to do. And it changes the whole experience. You know, just kind of rolling back into history, you know, it's been this primal 
gathering and problem resolving. If you think of protest music, culture changing at times, what you think of the Beatles and, and then music as lullaby and sort of the literal, this is again, using it deliberately, literally regulating both the baby and the mother. Because I can tell you that when your baby's upset, your system, especially because of neural Wi-Fi, is going to want to get upset too. It's like just naturally wants to sink there. But the use, for example, of lullaby and it controls your breath. And then by you controlling your breath and humming and singing, <laughs> I say that in parentheses because I can't sing, but I am a big fan of music. I used to do Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I would mit- turn it into a gospel, or I would turn it into, um, <laughs> you know, these long, slow kind of operas, <laughs> because I was that was a long song that I knew that had lots of words, and uh, of course, the baby didn't know it, and I was really calm, and I kind of knew what I was doing, and it was it served a regulatory function by being able to, again, pitch, tone, cadence. So it was it was regulating both not not only you because it would calm your body down but then you're sending a right brain to right brain communication to the baby that is very soothing and in fact it's really very consistent uh, with the uh, mri studies on infants etc that that show right brain activation through lullabies and as we've been talking the right brain is the emotional center it's the part that as we develop it more and more it helps us regulate ourselves and an infant whole body that the right hemisphere lights up to melody to music at a very young age and in fact it's an interesting thing to think about even when an infant is asleep and a mother is doing a lullaby the brain still of the infant in a sleep state will activate that right brain. And so what that means in in regular terms is that the body is associating that with soothing. And so not only is the infant getting soothed, it's realizing that something outside of its system is soothing it. And that adds to this relationship that, oh, relationships in my life soothe me and it activates more of an emotional development in the infant. So it goes all the way back to evolution, and it goes all the way back to our own development from origins. That's exactly right. And, you know, you mentioned the feel-good. You know, basically, literally, it helps us produce these, it activates these different networks depending on rhythm and pitch and tone and our memory associated with it. So let's, let's listen to this for a second. Just again, notice what's in your body. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Did you feel anything? Oh my God, that's so. Uh, that song has always it just evokes a sense of um, a little bit for me awe and sadness, but not like a a, a beautiful sadness, like a connected. I feel so connected. Like reverence. Yeah, that's the word. It's a reverence, but it I can feel my heart kind of almost get weighted down, but with reverence. That's right. And you know, we were talking about some of the neurotransmitters, and you know, not to 
reduce this feeling of awe and being touched to chemicals. <laughs> However, particularly when we feel sad, one of the things is prolactin. And by stimulating prolactin, basically by it sort of processes sorrow. And it's integrative by being able to incorporate loss and sadness. But instead of it, so I love how you're saying that is sometimes when we have sadness, we think our instinct is to cut it off and to get away from it. And I mean, we all know the country music or the response to loss of a relationship. And what do you want to do? You want to keep listening to that sad song. And part of that is what you exactly what you're talking about. Social it helps, architecture. It helps us process it through. It helps us activate just what you just said so that we can actually really experience the sadness. That's it's healing. A, that's exactly right. Uh, all right, let's do one more here. Long black limousine Shiniest car I've ever seen Backseat is nice and clean She rides as quiet as a dream Someone dug a hole six long Feet in the ground I said goodbye to you and I threw my roses down. So again, just another point around, I don't know if you could feel it, but the, again, processing, it's because it's not just the music, it's the lyrics as well, that, mm -hmm. that there's storytelling that happens and we are wired to hear stories. And so I can't play very long clips of it for lots of reasons, but I don't know if you could begin to hear the that story and it evokes images and that's where the, the visual cortex comes in. The other thing that happens is we sync up with the rhythm of the music and we're going to end on one where that we're going to sync up literally in our minds. If you were in an fMRI machine, you would actually begin to match the beat just like we sync up in our moods when somebody's anxious, we either get anxious or we stay calm and then they get calm. So that there's this sinking process that happens with music too. And that is part of how we are able to either flip it on and turn on our mood, you know, up it or be able to, like you said, and process something sad and, or motivate us or all these things. Well, and syncing up again, as, as our podcast is all about how we use neuroscience in our relationships, syncing up is a huge part of our connections. And so think about when we lose an artist. Oh my gosh. I, I like when we lost Prince for me, that was really big. And I think about the sync up that I experienced and the whole body experience, not only that I have in listening to Prince, but my connection with everybody at the period of time that I did that. And that we're talking about memory is so powerful Music is from, you're hitting it right now, Sue, from a place of the lyrics and the lyrics hits that language story, functioning and yes. the story and it hits our analytical part that also is connected to our emotional part. And it's so, so amazingly beautiful. And music also hits from a, a bottom-up perspective. Like it catches you off guard. You're not actually thinking about the story, all of a sudden your body starts to create a mood with a certain beat. And so from bottom up, meaning that your body starts to feel it and it goes up and then your brain makes sense of it. And so that's part of how we can use music. You know, one of the neuroscience articles actually talks about, you know, the earlier I'd mentioned the feeling 
And, you know, when I go to concerts, I'm like, oh, God, I don't have the feeling yet. I don't have the feeling yet. And then all of a sudden, it's like something happened in some sort of magic, and I just get flooded with this feeling. And I, I will usually, you know, elbow somebody. And I'm like, I got it. I got the feeling. <laughs> but You're what? Up. It's kind of it's kind of chills, and it's just, I mean, overwhelming pleasure, and often maybe tears or just big. And, I, and I'm talking about rock and roll or whatever it is. It's not just this this sad music. Our brains are anticipation machines, and part of what makes a hit song, I think. It's the unexpected, like you think something's going to happen and then it changes that that's, that's some of what the research shows is that that's is like a buildup of excitement. And then, but if it stays super predictable, we lose interest. So it's, right. uh, that's why we started with Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, because there were three totally different auras um, in that um, tiny, tiny little clip. So it's the it's the unexpected. It's the thing that hasn't happened before, that that's some of what gives us this excitement. So related to this feeling, the feeling that I'm talking about, there's some research out of USC where that they began to study people who really did good. What they called it was chills to music. And again, if you're listening out there, just you'll probably know the, exactly what I mean. <laughs> like the chills you're having right at that concert. Right. And what basically what they said is that they actually measured this and that people who get chills to music and it's always different music for different people that does it. So it's not one song that gives you chills. It's more about your relationship with that song and your expectations and your memories related to it and things like that. But anyway, that they're actually, there's more dense fibers from the auditory system to the emotional processing system and folks that get chills. It was very cool. I'm going to, I'll reference this in the show notes. You know, it makes me think about that when you're talking about the connections and also how that processing affects motivation and getting the... When, how music affects motivation. That's yes. right. Yeah. If you need to work out or something. Well, yeah. The, the way that we talk about that music creates an anticipation in us, but it also, it comes bottom up and it really affects the way that we get our entire motivational system running. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about it for me specifically. That's how I became a runner. I did not want to get off the couch when I was in high school and was literally sort of forced to, in a way, to say, I'm going to get off my butt and get moving. And then, oh God, I'm going to date myself. The movie Rocky came out. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody do the math. Yeah, nobody do the math on me here. And this is how my morning got started. So that's what did it for you? That was it. I could, I'm almost get ready to put my running shoes on right now. I mean, and I didn't want to do it, but my stepfather would have that song going. And all of a sudden, I'm up putting my shoes on. And by the end, I couldn't wait to hit the pavement. And now, from a NeuroNerd perspective, I get what was going on. It wasn't just that I liked the song. It actually compels me to go forward in the way, not only my association to it, but also the way that it affects my brain forward and not only your motivation related just to the rhythm and the beat, but also I'm thinking about it. When you play that music, I think of the movie. And I total I think visual memory. Visual, exactly. I actually think of him punching the air and running up the stairs. It's very, I'm ready to put my running shoes on right now. Oh, yeah. Like he's running up that long way to stairs <laughs> and doing something he didn't want to do. And now, I, and you have the powerful visual association going with it, too. So that's an example of social architecture versus cotton candy that it created 
this network loop where those lights, those neural networks came on. And you can, what's cool about this is just like you were saying, Anne, that if you needed to run, he knew to put that on Mm -hmm. and that it would begin to activate the, you know, get up and go stuff. And not all music, of course, does that. So it's a way, basically what we're saying is you can manipulate your mood intentionally that music does that. And that as a matter of fact, there's this whole piece that, for example, when you're playing very sad music, that it actually affects your perceptions. And so then if you have a memory while you're thinking of the sad music, that you will be sadder thinking of the me- uh, thinking of the memory. Is that right, Anne? Right. That, your whole experience. That So we think of music as affecting, you know, it creates memories. Like we, we, we hear songs that we heard a long time ago and we're having a memory, but it's the other way around. It actually impacts what information we take in and creates memories. So if we are hearing, like you said, a sad song and something happens, an event happens in that, we have that more paired and we're going to see that event more from a sad perspective where research has shown if you're playing happy music during a very similar event, you're going to have a whole different powerful association. And in fact, a different memory, it goes in a different part of your brain and it creates a different memory. Uh, This is a true story. Someone sent me who was depressed and they sent me this album and so I played it you know I was just like okay what's this and it was kind of in the background I was doing something else and all of a sudden I swear I wanted to kill myself (laughs) (laughs) I was like oh my gosh no wonder you're depressed if you listen to this kind of music oh I mean the words the tone the pitch everything it's like everything became gray and I like could not turn it off fast enough (laughs) I was like get away so you might actually really think about in a more conscious way what mood that you would like to cue up and that we're really actually able to do that with music and that we'd like to induce and sometimes we need to induce the sadder things maybe we're processing and working something out and by bringing some music in that creates that feeling, it really helps us then step in the more difficult feelings that we might need to process through. So it may be very important to do that, but to be aware. And if you're trying to get something done and it's really difficult, setting up a situation where you really use music in your life to create something for yourselves. And we've also talked about the anticipation and the dopamine that happens in using music in an unpredictable way is also just a little piece of advice, a little tidbit in that. And that is that we've talked about this in other podcasts um, about even in sexuality and how unpredictability that having something that is not predictable and that you can create novelty is usually is very, very important in stimulating all sorts of things in us. And we use music that way too, because research with music has shown that if you allow yourself to maybe do random music of your favorite and not something very predictable, you get to really affect your mood state the whole time because the randomness in and of itself will create this little dopamine hit along the way. So I know what you mean. So instead of like, used to we would play the record, right? Then we would memorize the record and then we would know what was coming. And, we, and, and still to this day, when I hear a certain song, you know, I'm ready for the next song that comes after that record. But I think what you're saying, right, Anne, is that the if you have a playlist that's on shuffle and you're not sure what it's going to be, but there's, again, there's this, what's it going to be? What's and you it know it's be? all your favorite songs. Yeah. And then it plays and you're like, oh, I love that song. <laughs> um, and that, so that's a way of sustaining the dopamine. Another thing you mentioned when we weren't, I don't think we were recording at that point, about when you have a favorite song linked to a memory and that if you keep playing it over and over, it will attach to new memories. 
I think where you were going was the whole piece about saving the music. Yeah, so you have the personal, so you can save the music and have that be kind of a private space and kind of preserve it rather than to re-listen to it over and over again. And actually, if you re-listen to it over and over again and you associate it with new memories, it ends up kind of diluting that memory. It really will actually dilute the memory of that song the more you repeat and you repeat and repeat because your, your brain has got to put it in something that becomes more predictable. You're basically saying to preserve the goodies. <laughs> or, of course, I guess if it's a song that has a really traumatic event, maybe, uh-huh, then right. you listen to it over and over again in new memories to be able to dilute it. That would be another option. But yeah, a lot of us want to save those. Mm-hmm. A lot of, the, of us want to save those personal pockets, and that's always really important to do. You know, we've been talking about the music in terms of individual processing, but think of it as the culture, the effect it has on the culture. I mean, right now we have a huge example of that, don't we? That's right. Okay. You ready? So those of you in the United States will know what we're referring to. On the NFL, there is the biggest controversy all around the song and how what the song means and people taking a knee and people being so offended and ready to shoot somebody for taking a knee because they feel like they're, they're disrespecting the purpose of the song, whereas the people taking the knee are saying the purpose of the song is about protecting all of us and the United States coming together. So this one song that gets played before each football game in the United States has become a lightning rod for political discourse and uh, division, again, in families arguing about boycotting the NFL and really, So it creates, it's Mm -hmm. the way that music in and of itself, like we were speaking earlier about the songbirds, that it can really create a sense of feeling really wonderful in the world now, or it can create that sense of uh, threat in our body, depending on where we sit on that issue. You know, it makes me think of also, on on a little bit of a lighter note, I don't know if any of you were able to see or hear the Adele. I know, I guess it is C. For those of us that uh, had a Saturday Night Live, and if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. But the Saturday Night Live skit where Adele sings a song that I think affects everybody. I think that's what was so wonderful. Exactly. So uh, that they were having, again, political discourse within the family and arguing. And so a little girl would go and she would just flip on a song and it would immediately change everyone's mood. (laughs) And then as soon as the song was off, they would go right back to fighting. And then the little girl would flip on the song. Uh, So anyway, we'll put that link. It's super cute. So as a way of wrapping up, we have been talking from kind of a nerdy way about the brain and music and neuroscience and how we can use music to Create moods, create memories, motivate ourselves. That's right. Connect to other people. Uh, bring to come together as a community. Make pro- love, pro- create war. Protest. Oh, actually, well, you know, one of the things we hadn't said is that there's some research that, like, when you put your arm where you can't see what's on the other side, and somebody does these deliberate strokes on your arm, depending on the music playing, even basically if it's sexy music, you will feel the stroke as sexy even if you know it's a robot that's doing it. So that's how powerfully uh, music can affect us. Or you feel it aggressive, even if you know, yeah, it can. depending on the music, it's going to create right. a sense it, of... And that was to your point earlier, how it changes perception. Right. Now, the other thing, just as a tip, a couple of things, actually. We want you as listeners, if any 
of your own songs have come to mind. We want you, as soon as this is over, but not until, uh, we want you to grab your music player and go ahead and put that on and really reconnect maybe to some old music that you have been have lost and hopefully just found and uh, are remembering and thinking about. So whatever it is that's coming to mind right now, we encourage you to follow through and let yourself crank it up. And the second thing is one of the best things that you can do to grow to, for neurogenesis and for neuroplasticity better than even going to the gym, better than a lot of things that we think are getting enough sleep is learning to play an instrument because it literally lights up just basically it touches every system as we've been as we've been talking about about the right the the left the motor fine tuning you know the fine motor large motor and auditory and visual and basically it is a full brain workout so get out the ukulele and no matter what age you are, because That's we know right. we talk about how much you have uh, ability to grow your brain, no matter how, what age. If That's you've right. never picked up that instrument, now's the time it to do it. It is not too late. It is not too late. That's going to be one of the takeaways. So for next time, we are going to continue this conversation. So today, again, we've been t doing the nerdy stuff and the neuroscience. Next time, we're actually going to get an artist. We've actually done the interview already. It was really fantastic. His name is Bob Schneider, and he is one of the most prolific songwriters that you will ever know. He has like 1,800 songs already written, and he writes at least one a week. It's so much fun. We get You can see him locally, and all. he plays nationally, internationally, and he can fill the stage. But he plays locally in Austin, Texas at a, at a small bar, is where he brings his new music. He writes it, and you get to sit and listen. And it is to sit and listen to the lyrics and to the feeling that he gives off with them. It's really amazing. So I'm so excited about the interview itself. That's right. So we want to introduce him. He is, but basically part of why we're chose him and also we're going to end on this is he is a master at connecting and doing that right to right connection. That's how he writes music. So he's going to talk about how he writes and therapy and how therapy has changed his music and how music has changed him. And uh, just it's it's a really wonderful it's basically a cool dude talking about therapy, <laughs> which is probably a lot more effective than us talking about therapy, Absolutely. don't you think? Yes, talking about therapy, talking about music, and t talking about the impact of music on his life and what he tries to generate. All right, I'm dancing. You guys are going to love the interview. If you don't know Bob, you will by the end of this. The amazing flow of a century in the afterglow oh, The way the weeds are crows, the eyes test stack up to the TV I don't wanna forget the way I feel whenever she's around Whenever she's around, gotta make a sound like La la la, oh it's getting better now la, 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 I can almost see how la, 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 It's a big beautiful day Nothing standing in my way Nothing gonna be the same. La 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 la. La 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 la. Yeah. La 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 la. One hundred 
40,000 years ago when I was a wide-eyed buffalo Sky up above just breathing by with calamity chain My, oh my, nothing matters Those in the eastern plain jackhammers I'm wrapped up in a Novocaine My, what a girl, can't forget about it All the angels, they all sing with me now Standing in my way Oh, it's getting better now Now I can almost see how All the birds singing your name Nothing gonna be the same La, 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 la Yeah, that's it, you got it La, 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 la And then the way he's able to create, and we talked about the the impact and social, the way when you sit in the audience, by the end of it, everybody feels this collective sense together. Oh, yeah. If you don't want to do it, just pretend you're doing it. I don't want to look out there and see somebody not doing it. Just milly vanilly. There you go. A little louder now. A little louder. There it is. Austin, Texas. Sing with them, guys. That sounds like victory. I like that. Oh, with the wave. <laughs> yeah. Guys, we're in a good mood now. Social architecture. We're definitely winning. I'm in a good mood. There's no chance the opposition's going to catch up to us now. Now we're just rubbing it in. <laughs> oh, it's a good day. All right. Thanks for joining us, you guys. Um, if you like what you heard today and you've made it all the way through, we really appreciate you joining us. And we would love you to go to your podcast player, rate and review us. That helps so much in our standing, and we would really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And again, stay tuned for our interview with Bob Schneider, who's going to continue this conversation, basically. Thanks for listening. I'll take care. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.